You guys, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Genesis. Gotcha. All right. Uh, We're going to start this morning in the book of Genesis because the book of Genesis is going to help us understand what the writer of Hebrews is pointing to this morning as far as his encouragement to be disciples of Jesus. And so we have a lot of work to do this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to skip around a bit here this morning through Genesis, and this is going to lead us ultimately to Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. So this is what the word of the Lord says, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Let's read the first four verses. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, it'll be up on the screen, and then we also have Bibles around the auditorium. Those are a gift to you. Uh, You could take one of those home if you don't have a Bible this morning. This is what Genesis 12 verses 1 through 4 says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall Be blessed. This is where we get, if you grew up in church at all, if you were a kid at kids' church, you remember singing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, right? Remember? Many sons. And then right, it was the Christian hokey pokey, right? Wasn't that what it was? This is where this comes from. Let's keep reading in verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Look at his obedience. He just goes. And Lot went with him. Now look at this. Abram was... 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Everyone say 75. 75. This is not no spring chicken. All of a sudden, he is living his best life. He's in his father's house. He's doing all the things. He's taking care of it. He's an upcoming. He's the richest dude. He's got everything he wants. He's got all the tents. He's got all the goats. He's got all the sheep. He's got all the servants. And in all of that, God comes to Abram and says, Listen, Abram. I'm calling you to go somewhere else. I know you got it good here. Trust me, just go and I'll tell you where to go at 75 years old. How many of us at 75 are like, I'm looking forward to retirement. I'm looking to not have to go anywhere. I'm looking to, as John Piper says, collecting seashells on the seashore with Sally, right? Well, that's not the story for Abram. Now let's keep reading. Go to chapter 15. And what are we going to do here? Let's look at verses 1 through 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. First of all, you made this great big promise. Now you're going to say... You know, you're going, to have, you're going to be the father of many nations. I will be blessed, and people who bless me will be blessed, and I will bless others, and everybody who comes from me will bless everybody else, and we're living in that today. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you come back to me and you say, you renew this promise, but, okay, guess what, God? I don't have any kids. Is it going to be Eliezer, the guy I don't even like that much, right? Is they, this is what you're leaving up to me? Well, let's keep reading. reading. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold... You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. 
your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. All right, so God comes to Abram again and he renews and he says this covenant again. Let's keep this. Now, this is very important. Let's look at verses 12. And we're also going to skip to verse 17. Um, God comes to Abram, gives him a covenant, and then um, he, he's going to make this oath. He's going to seal it. And there's, there's something that happens here where Abram falls asleep and God does some weird things. We're not going to read it all through that, but I just want us to see these two verses because we're going, they're going to come to bear as we go through Hebrews. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, everyone say this, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Everybody said it together. A deep sleep fell on Abram. That's important. Now remember that, all right? What did I just ask you to remember? Good job. All right, now verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What are these pieces? God asked Abraham, Abram, not Abraham yet, to make a sacrifice with animals. And so he does so, and then they're cut in half into many pieces. And for some reason, God comes in the form of a smoking pot and a torch and passes through these animal pieces, all right? Everyone's like, yeah, that totally makes sense, right? Just hold on. Don't get ahead of yourselves here, but keep that in mind. Now, let's jump over to chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. You guys doing okay? Chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. By the way, how old was Abram when God first came to him and said, hey, I'm going to make you 75? You guys are so good. Now look at this. Verse 1, chapter 17. When Abram was... 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which is like little, little father, but your name shall be called Abraham, which is father of many, for I have made you the father of multi- multitude of nations. Keep reading till verse seven. Um, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after your through thought, their generations for every for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Okay, so Genesis 12, God comes to Abram, he makes a promise, he says, Hey, it's kind of like what Mike was encouraging us today. All of a sudden, surprise! You get to go somewhere. I do. Yeah, surprise, I'm not gonna tell you where it is. Great. Surprise, it's gonna be amazing. Okay. Surprise, you're 75. Thank you. And then all of a sudden he goes and he's obedient. Some 24, it would seem, 24 years later. What's going on, God? I'm 99. Remember, you came to me again to reassure me that this is not going to be somebody else. It's not going to be my cousin's first, second, third dog walker person that's going to be the heir. It's going to be somebody who comes from me. 
And then he comes to him again in Genesis 17 and says, hey, by the way, just want to remind you 25 almost years later that this is going to happen. Now, how does Abraham respond? Well, that's a good question. Look, continue with me. Uh, let's see, where should we go here? I got it in my notes, don't worry. Verse 15 through 17 of chapter 17. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham did what? Fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Okay, now, I, I know that some people go, well, this was a long time ago, and I know a little bit about the Bible, and people back a long time ago in this time of the Bible times lived a lot longer. And so actually, you know, Abraham, it wasn't, being 100 years old really wasn't that old. Well, I don't know about you, but this is what Scripture says. Look at how it tells us to uh, who they were. The man was 100 years old. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Basically, this is impossible, God. We are too old. I am a hundred, and my wife looks like a piece of beef jerky with a wig on. Too far? The Bible does this. Beef jerky can be beautiful. No, okay. She was barren. She may have been beautiful, but she was old. Um, nowadays, we consider geriatric pregnancy like 35. It's 35. 30, okay, 36. Let's just call it 36. Let's call it 50. Let's call it 70. Was Sarah 70? No. These people are well beyond birth bearing. Now, here's where this gets really funny. God comes to Abraham. God comes to Sarah. Listen, this is going to happen, and it's going to come naturally. You're going to have a baby. All of these things are going to take place. And so, in between this, there, God comes physically, seems, to Abraham and Sarah in the form of three men and angel, two angels, and it would seem like God is speaking directly to him. And this, look, pick up in verse 9 of chapter 18. They said to him, the angels, to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. See, this is where the Bible says they were old. Okay, you're like, well, they weren't that old. No, they were old. Advanced in years. It puts an exclamation point on it. The way of women had ceased, if you weren't clear, all right, had ceased to be with Sarah. So what? Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, 
and Sarah shall have a son. Now, here's where it gets funny. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But the angel said, no, you did. Busted. Gotcha. All right, so we keep reading just one more. Chapter 21. I didn't laugh. Nope, you did. Gotcha. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Look at that. As he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Now, the Bible's just trying to let you know. It's not somebody else's biological baby. This was theirs. It's reinforcing this truth. Verse 4, And Abraham sacrifi- circum- not sacrificed, circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old. Eight days old, as God commanded him. Now look at this, verse 5. How old? Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And we have friends that, you know, just had a baby about two years ago, and they're, they're kind of like, they were already wanting to be done. And they, surprised, and God came with one of those surprises. They have a fifth child, and he was telling me how, like, she's going to be at high school, and he's going to be, like, 60 when she's getting into high school, Right? That he, Abraham's got, or he's got nothing on Abraham. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Probably true. And he said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Man, I love just the faithfulness and the promises of God. Now, All of what we just said this morning, turn to the book of Hebrews and turn to chapter 6 and put your finger there. And as you turn there, I want to just give some some color to this this morning, where we are this morning. Think about that 25 years of waiting, at least 25. Has anybody here been waiting for 25 years for something of a promise to come true? You know, when we first started... Southlands Chino, when, when this became officially Southlands Chino, I remember before we were meeting in this room, there was a group of us who we were meeting in my house, and we lived down the street not far from here when we first moved back from Texas to Southern California. And we were huddled in my living room, and we had a meal together, and it was kind of like the core group of who Southlands Chino was going to be. We all got together and we, we just started dreaming together. And I got out this big whiteboard and I said, okay guys, what is God saying about Southlands Chino? Anybody remember that and being in my, okay, wow, one of you. Great, thanks Steve, appreciate it. Um, but man, we got into and we said, okay, what is God calling us to? What is Southlands Chino going to be? And so it was an open mic forum, and people were just like, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. There's going to be people who get saved. There's going to be, um, you know, uh, just like a spirit of worship. There's going to be uh, just, we're going to see people being made disciples. I, I have it on my phone. I have the photo of this. I should have shared it with you guys this morning. And to be honest, some of those things, we're seeing those come true. 
One of them I remember was vividly like, we want to make impact into Chino High School. We've been in here almost five years. September will be five years. We're just now starting to see some of that come true. And the reality is, I don't think yet Southlands Chino is the place that, that, that we all dreamed it would be. In some regards it is, but there, there is still more to come. And in me leading the church, the vision I feel that God has given us is to grow and to make disciples who become disciples, who make more disciples, who in turn make more disciples. And we're starting to see that, but it's, it's not like me and my, my like, oh, come on, let's do it, guys. There's part of a frustration. I'm like, God, why? Why is this taking so long? Why is this so hard? And I know that some of us here this morning may feel the same way, maybe not specifically about Southlands Chino. Maybe it's, it's, the, it's that one sin that you thought that you had mastered. You, you, it's that one habitual sin where you were like, man, I'm going to give this to God, and I did this years ago. Maybe it was you know, looking at inappropriate things. Maybe it was giving yourself to certain indulgences, indulgences and you, you felt like through the power of the Holy Spirit, through community, you found healing and you found victory over this sin all of a sudden for it to just come back and seem like, no, I'm now still the master in your life. And you're like, God, how long is this going to take where I have total freedom? How long is it going to take for the promises that you have said in my life and in this community to be fully realized? And I would, I would say, I think the reality is sometimes the promises of God sometimes don't feel like they're coming like the way we thought they would. Anybody ever feel that way? And so while we are a church that God is doing great things in, he's growing, and while we're not totally yet, and I don't think we ever will be, I love how Anthony said, we are a church that will be continually growing and accommodating and changing. Why? Because people will be added by the power of God to us as a body. I love that. But is the culture fully there and realized? No. But do we hope for that? Do we hope and long for that as a people? Yes. Do we hope and long that our sins will be less and less and less and that we become more and more and more like Jesus? We do. What is the hope? What is this thing that can help us somehow in this tension that we might feel as we hear the promises, we come on Sundays, someone declares promises of who God is, but the tension of the not yet of experiencing those things in our life. What are we to do? Well, this, friends, I think, is where Hebrews chapter 6 is going to help us this morning. See, because the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who would confess Jesus as Lord, but who grew up in a tradition of understanding their spirituality, had deep roots in things that they were being like encouraged to let go of. And they were saying, no, this is where I used to find hope. This is the things that used to work. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, actually, there's something much better than the traditions you grew up in. His name is Jesus, and he has promises for you in the here and now, and promises for you in the eternal that will give you hope right now as you don't see the realization fully of the promises of God in your life. You can look forward to those things if you keep your eyes on Jesus. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. 
That was page one of my notes. Sorry, guys. What are we to do? Hebrews 6, chapter 9. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 9. Thanks. Even though we speak like this, what is he talking about? Remember last week, Kevin was here and he said, man, <laughs> he gave us some pretty good truth. And he was saying, hey, it's, you need to take seriously because some of, some of who you've experienced have fallen away from the faith. Some have completely denied it. And if, if you've denied it, that means there wasn't a seal by the Holy Spirit in your heart. And only those who have a seal of the Holy Spirit for salvation will pers- persevere. And even though we say hard things like this, look at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. And I would say that to us here, Southlands Chino, even though it is hard to be a Christian, it is hard. It's not easy to do all what God's called us to do. Even though it's hard sometimes and it's scary to put our full hope and our full trust in God, there are better things for us in our case. And what is it? The things that have to do with salvation. Friends, let me just encourage us this morning. No matter if you're feeling particularly good, about your situation in life or where you're feeling, man, I messed up again or where you're feeling like, Lord, how long? How come I'm not seeing the fullness of these promises that I feel like you have given to me and to us as a body and your community as a church? Even though that is true and we feel that tension, what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us today is saying, there's a promise that has been given to us. It's better than all of these things. It overrides these circumstances that we feel in life. It is bigger and better and stronger and brighter and more beautiful, and that is the salvation that has been given you through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, as we're going to unpackage this, it should become even more encouraging to us if we are people who have put our hope and our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This gives us, I want to say, hope. In spite of things not going our way. This gives us hope in spite of no matter what your health would say. We just had a memorial service for a friend, Diana, here this Thursday. And what we were reminded of is that our bodies are earthly tents, right? And that there is a perfect tent awaiting for us, which Diana, right now, in this very moment, right now, as we are sitting here and listening to me blab my mouth, right now, she's not having to listen to me, thank God. She is like in the presence of God. Why? Because something has been promised to her and now been fully realized. This promise of salvation, being able to see God fully face-to-face. And that gives us hope in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our bodies wasting away, in spite of what our bank account says, in spite of what our relationships say. No matter what this world throws at us, nothing ever will ever, ever change in the promise that you and I have been given. And then we see that with Abraham. That's why the writer is telling us this. Now, here's, here's, here's what we should be doing. There's probably a natural progression 
in our thoughts, right? So, okay, Kelly, you read from Genesis. You, you told about this amazing story about how God comes to a man and he promises something. And then now I get it. You're trying to encourage us through Hebrews chapter 6 this morning about how we should be encouraged about a promise that's been given to us. I get that. But the natural question is, well, who upholds and upkeeps this promise? That's a good question to ask. I grew up in a church culture previously that I would say overemphasized the work of man in salvation. So what do I mean by that? Often there were things said from the front was like, hey, if God were to come back tonight, and this would be to Christians, and you committed a sin, you would probably go to hell. And I remember being junior high and being like, oh my gosh, like always afraid, like I'm gonna lose my salvation and like always walking around like, did I commit a sin and I didn't know it? And then Jesus is gonna come back and then like, sorry buddy, you know, that kind of a, understanding. And I would say there was an underemphasized role of God's work in salvation. There was like, man, if you don't do this, it's all about you. And yeah, somehow God works in there. And I would say, friends, the right way to understand is actually the other way around, that we need a high view of salvation, that if God does the work, God keeps us God is the one who initiates. God is the one who offers to us the promise. We don't say, God, I need a promise and I'm going to create this promise. So therefore, we aren't the ones who have to maintain this promise. All right? All right. You guys, you guys with me? So the question is, if it's not us, then who? Well, obviously it's God. Now, before we unpackage this, you, you ever have someone give you a promise only to find out they just, they don't make good on it. They either totally forget, oh yeah, oh yeah, that $500 I owe you, yeah, checks in the mail, buddy, and you're like, oh cool, and then you're like waiting, and nothing's happening. I mean, I'm still waiting for AT&T to call me back for some customer service thing, right? Is that gonna happen? No, do, does anybody here work for AT&T? No, okay, all right, we're gonna say. But I mean, you know, like, or you ever be on the call and says, uh, if you'd like someone, if you'd like to wait, Stay on the phone. If you wouldn't like to wait, press two, and you'll be the next person in line. Baloney. You know that's never going to happen, right? So what do we do? We all wait on there. Because why? We don't trust what they are saying. I mean, the government? Does anybody here trust the government? Look, I'm going to go there, okay, for a moment. I mean, COVID. Right? Like, hey, you're going to, like... If you breathe, you're dead. And like, no, if you don't, if you can do whatever you want, you're fine. If you do this, you do it. No, if you don't do it, it's like, oh my gosh. And then they just came out saying, oh, all that stuff, we just made it up. CDC just admitted a lot of, it's like, okay, I don't know who to trust anymore. Because the people who said we, no, we absolutely are trustworthy are the people that often are the most untrustworthy in our lives. Here's the beautiful thing. God is not like the government, thank God. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, let's keep reading, verses 13 through 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Yes, God swears. Saying, verse 14, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained 
the promise. See, you and I, or government, or AT&T, whoever it is, swears, right? What do we do? We say, what's your supervisor's name? Okay. And do you, you know, let me get your name so we can write. And then, yes, I will call you back. Okay, I'm writing down your name. I swear. What do we say? I hope to die when I was a kid. Put a needle in my eyes, that's what we used to say. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my, there it is. Okay, it's all coming back to me. Or what do we say? I swear on my mother's grave. Why? Because we are trying to emphasize how serious we are in this moment, aren't we? May my mother's grave be desecrated if I don't come through. I'm not talking about my mom. I'm saying we say things like that. And if you know that's true. If you've watched a movie, you've seen it, okay? Now, here's what God did. God makes a promise to Abraham but it's to you and me this morning, right here in this very moment. He makes a promise, and he, say, he looks around, and he thinks about, what can I swear on? What can I make an oath on? And the Bible says he looks around and looks, and he sees that there is nothing more grand, more serious, more meaningful in the whole universe other than himself. And he swears by himself. Can you think of anything greater or bigger or grander or more serious or more meaningful than God? Of course you cannot. God knows that. And it's not because he thinks so highly of himself. It's because he knows the truth of who he is and the truth of all the things that he created him being infinite, these things being finite, he says, all right, you don't believe me? I will not just swear by these things that you swear of. I will swear by myself because there is nothing and no one greater than me. Now, friends, this should spark some joy, spark some like in us this morning when it comes to the promises of God, even in the face of circumstances. Because when we remind ourselves of the truth of who God is and we apply it to the promises that he has spoken over us, what we do is, yes, thank God that you've sworn by your own self that these things are yes and amen in Christ Jesus for all of us who believe. Because there is nothing greater in the whole universe than God himself. And God swears. Now, here's why I wanted you to remember verses 12 and 17 of that chapter where you see first, Abraham falls asleep. You remember that? Remember I had you guys say that? And two, there was a smoking pot and there was, and there was a torch that went through the animal pieces. Why is it significant, I think, why Abraham fell asleep? Did you notice... That in this moment, God is busy making a covenant with Abraham while he's sleeping. That just lets us know Abraham has no, he's got nothing to do with it. The man falls asleep and God still makes a covenant. 
And you and I are running around going, oh my gosh, this promise, this promise God gave me. Well, what can I do to make it happen? I know, I'll go and be super nice to everybody. That way God will bless me. I know, what I'll do is I'll like say all these prayers every single day. That way God will bless me. I know, well, I'll do this and I'll do that. And God's going, you might as well just be asleep because I'm the one that made the covenant. I created it. You have no power to ruin it or keep it. It's based on me. I looked around and I swore by myself because there is nothing greater, yourself included. Why then do we run around trying to uphold the promise? Am I saying we could just do whatever we want with our lives and God will just turn a blind eye to our sin? No. I'm not saying that. So don't go out of this room and say, Kelly said we could do whatever we want. That's on the tape. Go back and listen to it. I said you can't do that, okay? But we have no power in ourselves as finite beings to make or break this thing because it's held together by the power of God. Is that good news? It should be. And then the other part was, you see a smoking pot and a flame go through these cut pieces. What God is saying, he is swearing, he's saying, I crossed my heart and hope to die. I'll stick a needle in my eye. What he's saying in this moment is, I will become like these torn up, cut up animal pieces, all in disarray and blood flowing from the altar, should I not make good on my promise. I will subject myself to destruction if I should not make good on this promise. Friends, when God gives an oath, when God gives a promise, he comes through. His track record is 100%. You can trust when he says, I will be faithful in your salvation to keep you. You don't have to do the work to save yourself. I have saved you. All you have to do is surrender your life to me and I will keep you no matter the circumstances. I'm yelling at you. I'm sorry. Look at his character, if you weren't convinced yet. Hebrews verses 17 and 18 of chapter 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs, who's that? That's you and me, heirs, of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We can all say, oh, well, talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. I I love how Numbers helps us even emphasize. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not human, that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise not fulfill? There's a rhetorical question. Of course not. God is not like a dad, maybe a poor, a bad dad that we grew up with who always was like, you remember, what was it, um, Cats in the Cradle? Who was that, um, who was that singer? Cat Stevens. Cats in the cradle in the silver spoon, right? 
And the dad's like, okay, one day, son, then we're going to play. And then the son grows up, and he's like singing the same thing to his son. It's just a sad cycle of broken promises. See, God is not a man that he would lie. God is God. And so the Bible emphasizes this. And we could all say, yeah, that's really good, but show me. Show me proof. I don't just want words because I am living in a culture of words that make promises and they're continually broken. And you can preach to me, Kelly, all day long that God is good on his word, but I need you to show me that God is good. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because the rest of this portion of scripture is going to prove to us that God is not only a big talker, he can talk a big game, but God can back it up. Look at this in verse 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. It's a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I would just want to read this again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This promise that I've been talking about here, it's a hope that enters into the inner place the presence of the holy of holies of God behind a curtain that once separated you and me because of our sin, there is now, it's been torn open, verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. See, here is the proof that God is not just talking a big game. He is saying, I will put my money where my mouth is. And I have done it through Jesus. Now, Here's a couple things I want us to see. He talks about this anchor for our soul. And we all understand that anchor goes on a boat, and this anchor goes down into the water, somehow finds a, a, you know, a rock or a piece of coral or something, and it latches on. So what? When storms come, when winds blow, when tides rage, whatever happens, if that anchor is connected It will allow that boat to stay safe and secure no matter what the weather may bring. The beautiful thing about you and I, the promise that we've been given, the anchor to our souls, it doesn't go down. It goes up. And it goes up into heaven. And it holds on to the throne of God. And it's it's secure. And I, I love this picture of it going up because why? The tension is like, Right? You guys know what I'm doing? So when the storms rage around me, when my temptations want to give in to my fleshly desires, what happens is, I st- like we walk our dog on a leash, and he's six months old now, and he's still kind of learning how to be on a leash. He's doing pretty good. We take him off the leash, and we'll go on walks, and you know, somebody walks by, and I go, hey, 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 sit, and he'll just like, I really want to go lick that person. His crotch, like as bad as like, you know, that's what I want to do, right? That's what dogs do, all right? It's going to be okay. Even though we're in church, I did say the word crotch. It's going to be all right. That's just what animals do. Okay. If you never had a dog, 
I don't know what to tell you. So, but he's, he's like, hey, there's somebody, and they look happy, and they're probably going to be super excited about me jumping on them, right? And what do I do? And he's like, oh, oh yeah, 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 okay. Well, that's such a bad example, especially crotch, okay? But what's so much better is us understanding that when we are tugged this way and that way by all the shiny things that the world wants to offer or all the circumstances that beat against us, it's not this like, oh, we're getting pulled back down. No, this beautiful truth is this anchor goes up into the throne room of heaven and so we're being pulled closer and closer to the presence of God, his holiness, his likeness. And see, this anchor is attached and it will not let go. And here's the beautiful thing. We can try to hold this rope as much as we can. And if it was based on our own forearms and strength in our hands, we might do well for a little bit holding on to this anchor. But the reality is we just don't have the power to do it. Because there's times where I just can't hold on anymore. Try to just hold your hands up. Don't even hold anything. Just hold them up for 20 minutes and be like, you know, you can't do it. Why? Because we don't have the power to do it. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the proof. Through the sacrifice of Christ and on the cross, what has been afforded to us is this open relationship with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit who continually walks with us, guides us, sanctifies us, keeps us kept in this promise. And so the moment where we're like, I can't hold on anymore to somebody help. The Holy Spirit is there and he's, what he does is he gives you strength and he doesn't let, let you let go of this rope. He doesn't say, okay, it's all going to be based on you just white knuckling your, your faith. It's all based on your Christianity and your ability. No, what I'm going to do then is because I know you can't do this in your own power, I'm going to send my spirit to empower you. And what that's going to do is you're going to come to fork in the road moments and now you don't have to always do the wrong thing before like you did before when you weren't a believer. Now you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you alive. You're fork in the road moment. I don't have to sin anymore. Why? Because I've been set free and it's given me a power that I can now choose the right path. And it's not based in your own power. And so the proof is that Jesus paid this price for us. He paid it for us 2,000 years ago on a cross that you and I should have had to pay. But he says, I'm going to offer you a promise. I am faithful to my promise, and to prove it, I will pay for it. And I will do it through my son. And my son will do it willingly. And my son will lay down his life because he knows you don't have the power to do it even on your best day. What a promise. So we're sitting down here, we're like, Lord, we're not seeing all the things that we want to see. We're not feeling all the feels we want to feel. We're not, we, we're not overcoming the things that we thought we were waiting for these promises. And God says, I've given you a promise. It's sure, it's steady, and the proof is in my son the forerunner, the forebearer, the one who's gone before you, who now sits at the right hand of the Father in the throne room as the anchor, holding on, encouraging us, and, and making intercession for us. And I could just keep going on and on and on and on. I'm not going to do that. Let's bring it home. Go back to Genesis. 
Let's finish the story. Chapter 22. Where's Genesis? It's in the beginning of the Bible, Kelly. Start in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Another journey, huh? Just go. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering laid it on Isaac, his son, took his, and, and, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, he's starting to catch on, my father. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? This is getting awkward. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, they went both of them together, verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood on, in order, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. I don't know what this does. This is not a sweet little bedtime story we tell our kids. This is crazy madness. What is happening here in this moment? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I'm sure with sigh he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. Here it is, guys. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Let's just end there. See, there was a price that had to be paid. God starts with this promise for Abraham, telling of the promise and the promise, and Abraham's Lord, how long? And even in the fulfillment of it, there is something yet that we are still saying, God, I still trust you with these things. Knowing that Abraham, 
that Isaac wouldn't fulfill this thing. Knowing that you and I cannot fulfill this promise or upkeep it. See, what God does in this moment of our obedience and as we just follow him, what he does is, I know that you do not have the power to keep this promise. What I'm going to do is provide for you a ram in your place. For Abraham, it was a literal ram. For us, it was the lamb of God, of which we sang of this morning. What is my encouragement to us, Southlands Chino? God has called us to follow, to walk, to be obedient to him and his ways, no matter the circumstances, not out of cold, calculated, emotionless faith in Christianity as just robotic little peons that do his will. No, out of this beautiful truth that there's been a promise given to us and a promise fulfilled for us. That you and I get to rejoice, get to revel, and say, Lord, thank you that has been paid for by Christ. And so if you this morning are feeling worn out and tired in your faith, feeling, man, this is really hard, my encouragement is put your hope in the promise that has been paid for by for you. By Jesus. If you are saying, this is, you know, these sins that I feel like I can't overcome, turn your eyes to Jesus and ask for his power to overcome you in these moments. If you're saying, Lord, there's things that I'm still holding out for that I'm praying for. I'm praying for broken relationships. I'm praying for breakthrough in these areas. You say, God, I trust that you've already put the bill for these things. That you are enough. And I don't have to be the one who does the upkeep on this. You hold it together in your perfect, omnipotent, oath-keeping, wonderful hands. Amen? Will you stand with me this morning?